So at this point of the program, um, I'd like to welcome Father Frank Dewey from Newcastle West uh, onto the program, who's agreed to give us a reflection on the mass. So thanks, Father Frank, for for joining us. Very welcome, John. Where would you like to start in terms of talking about the mass? Well, I'd, I'd like to go back, uh, John, to two things that Jesus said towards uh, the very end of his life on earth. Uh, the first words I would like to focus on are what, in fact, were the final words uttered by Jesus in St. Matthew's account. You will remember where Jesus said, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the commands I gave you, and know that I am with you always to the end of time. That last line, know that I am with you always to the end of time, leads us into the other words of Jesus that I want to focus on in this first reflection. And these words are the words spoken by Jesus at the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. And I quote from the Gospel of St. Luke. Then taking a cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and share it among you, because from now on, I tell you, I shall never again drink wine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same with the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. That is the moment on the night before he died when Jesus instituted the Eucharist and gave us this extraordinary treasure that we call the Mass. Now to come back to those earlier words, which I emphasized a few moments ago, know that I am with you always, yes, to the end of time. Now it is true, his ongoing presence to us in the Eucharist that Jesus fulfills in a particular way that promise to be with us always to the end of time. In taking part in the celebration of the Eucharist, we are responding to the command of Jesus at that first Mass to do this in remembrance of me. In that earlier quotation, we heard Jesus say, Go therefore in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it is appropriate that the opening words of the Mass are taken from these last words of Jesus, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
So continuing on our reflections, on Father Frank's reflections on the Mass, and I suppose a question to ask Father Frank would, that it was a matter of great importance to Jesus to leave us this gift of the Eucharist before his return to the Father. Why do you think this is so important to Jesus? I see the Eucharist, the Mass, as Jesus' parting gift to us. You see, Jesus came on earth to sacrifice himself for us and to redeem us. This was God's most powerful way of expressing his love for us. And Jesus knew that what was about to happen in those days immediately after the Last Supper would change our world, our lives forever. When Jesus would offer himself on the cross, body and blood, for our salvation. And knowing as he did how significant those events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday would be for humankind for all time, Jesus wanted to leave us a way of re-enacting and connecting with the momentous events of his death and resurrection. What happened on Calvary was that Jesus gave himself body and blood for us and that is what is reenacted for us in the Mass. This passion, death and resurrection of Christ is known as the mystery of our faith. We will all be familiar with the acclamation of our faith after the consecration, where the priest says, the mystery of our faith, and the congregation respond with Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Or another response is, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. So when Jesus gave us the gift of the Eucharist, he enables us to connect forevermore with this great mystery and to reenact it. And of course, what Jesus does at Mass is give us the gift of himself, his body and blood. No greater gift can anyone give than to lay down one's life for one's friends, Scripture tells us. And of course, we make this connection with the cross at every Mass, which begins with the sign of the cross. Maybe, Father Frank, you can say a word about the repeated greetings and salutations and responses in the Mass, please. Yes, well, first I would like to mention the sign of the cross at the beginning of every Mass. These words were first used for all of us when we were baptised 
in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And their use at the beginning of Mass reminds us that the Eucharistic gathering is a gathering of the baptized. In the earlier church, the unbaptized were not allowed to be present for the whole celebration of the Mass. The Mass only makes sense in the context of the faith as a whole. So the sign of the cross at the start of Mass reminds us that the Mass is a reenacting of Christ's passion, death and resurrection. And when the people respond with Amen, they are saying, I agree, I believe that I am entering into his death on the cross. The different forms of greeting which we use in the Mass are all taken from Scripture, frequently from the writings of St. Paul. For example, the Lord be with you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems that these and other greetings were used frequently as a standard form of greeting by the earliest Christians in just these words. St. Paul uses them very frequently. The phrase, the Lord be with you, has been made sacred by use from the earliest times, reaching back indeed into the Old Testament. Some of us, of a certain age, will be familiar with the Latin phrase, Dominus Vobiscum, the Lord be with you. So there is a case to be made for not modernizing these phrases, like, for example, to say, God bless all here, instead of the Lord be with you. The language of the Mass is not the language of the street. I think the Mass requires its own language to a degree. For example, in going into a neighbour to their house, we wouldn't say, the Lord be with you. Something like, God bless all here, would be more appropriate there. So in that sense, a somewhat different language is more apt. Similarly, with the response to that greeting, uh, a sign, a slightly different language, uh, for example, on entering a house, an appropriate response to God bless all here would be, and you too. Whereas a more proper response to the Lord be with you is, and with your spirit. I think these few thoughts might help us with the greetings and language of the Mass.
at the beginning of every Mass, we always have what we call the penitential rite. Could you say a few words about the significance of that, please? As we pointed out, uh, John, in our previous reflections, it was to redeem us from our sinfulness that Jesus died on the cross. We're all sinners to a greater or lesser degree, and it is that sinfulness that has the power to lead us away from God and, if serious enough, uh, deny us salvation. When I say we are all sinners, I think we should not respond to that too negatively. To say we are all sinners is to say that we all fail in some way or other to live up to God's commandment of love. Love God and love your neighbour. And that is an extremely challenging commandment. It would be a brave person indeed, a blind or foolish person, who would say, I have no sin. That would be the same as saying, I haven't been unkind, I haven't been impatient, I haven't been uncharitable, I haven't been untruthful, I haven't been judgmental, I haven't been boastful, I haven't been conceited, I haven't held a grievance, I haven't failed to forgive, and so forth. Which of us can say that? When we acknowledge our sinfulness at the beginning of Mass, we are acknowledging that Christ needed to die for us, for me, not just for others. Of course, the huge benefit of acknowledging our sinfulness at the start of the Mass is that we are opening our minds and hearts to God's wonderful mercy. It takes humility to acknowledge our need of that mercy. And in the Confiteor, the I Confess, we confess our sins to Almighty God and to one another. We say, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters. And we do this aloud in the congregation. Indeed, some of the people we have sinned against may be there participating with us in the Eucharist. And how fitting we look for forgiveness as we approach the altar to listen to the word of God and to receive Jesus. We express our request for God's forgiveness in the Confiteor, or an equivalent penitential rite, and in the Lord of Mercy, the Kyrie. Sometimes the penitential rite is replaced by a ceremony of sprinkling the congregation with holy water, recalling our baptism, which of course wipes away original sin. After the penitential rite, we frequently recite the Gloria, 
Could you say a little about that part of the Mass, the Gloria? I realise this is not used in every Mass, but since it's used in most Sundays and in important feasts, I thought it would be a good idea to get your reflections on it, please. Yes, John, I would like to comment a little on the Gloria. The Latin title of the Gloria is Gloria in excelsis Deo, Glory to God in the highest heaven. That phrase occurs first in the hills outside Bethlehem after the birth of Christ when the angels announced the birth of the infant Jesus to the shepherds. The glory is not used in every Mass, as you say, but it occurs on a high percentage of the Sunday Masses. Ideally, of course, it is meant to be sung as a hymn. It's a hymn of praise, but it is still quite proper to recite it without singing. It is inserted there in the Mass as a great prayer of praise to God. I suppose in our Catholic tradition we're not that strong on the praise of God in our regular daily prayers. Now we do have such phrases as praise be to God or God be praised. But if you look at prayers we find in the scriptures, we find that theme of the praise of God all over the place. It is particularly strong in some of the Psalms. The Gloria very much brings out the attitude and language of the worshipper of God. For example, in the Gloria, you have in quick succession five verbs expressing that sense of worship. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks. There is a kind of an exuberance, an enthusiasm, a joy in those words that jump out at you. It goes on to give Jesus various titles, like Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, the Lamb of God, Son of the Father, the Holy One, the Most High, and so forth. So you can see how that prayer, the Gloria, rejoices in the role Jesus has been given by the Father in relation to us. And just after the Gloria, we have what is called the Collect, or the opening prayer of the Mass. It is a prayer said by the priest that always catches something of the meaning and theme of the Mass. There are two other such prayers always said by the priest. One is the prayer over the gifts at the offertory, and the other is the post-communion prayer towards the very end. I want to praise you, Lord, much more than I do. I want to praise you, Lord, much more than I do. Learn to seek your face and the knowledge of your grace. I want to praise you. But I think the whole first part of the Mass is called the Liturgy of the Word. Could you speak a little bit about that title and especially 
about the reading of the Word of God at Mass. Yes, that that's true, John. That first section of the Mass is called uh, the Liturgy of the Word. And later we will see that the second half is called the Liturgy of the Eucharist. Um, both Word and Eucharist are ways in which the Lord is present to us in the Mass. I suppose traditionally we Catholics are more familiar with the Lord's presence to us in the Eucharistic species, in his body and blood. But the Lord's presence to us in his word is also a very important reality. So in this part of the Mass, the Lord is present to us in his word. You note the reader says at the end of the readings, the word of the Lord. And the priest says at the end of the Gospel, the Gospel of the Lord. We speak of Christ himself as the Word of God, as, for example, in The Word Became Flesh. There we are describing Jesus as the Word, God's most profound utterance, as it were. Jesus is God's self-expression, as it were. It means God made his most profound communication with us when he sent his Son, into the world. It takes a bit of getting used to the phrase, the word was made flesh. Now when we use the expression, the word of God to describe scripture, we use it in the same sense of God's self-expression, God's self-utterance. So when the scripture readings are read at Mass, we are speaking of God's self-expression as proclaimed aloud to the listening congregation. The word of God that is read at Mass in the first and second readings can be taken from the Old or the New Testament. The Old Testament readings can be strange or obscure, but they too are important because they show how faithfully and painstakingly God built relationship with his people, how we slowed down to our pace, as it were, and patiently walked with his wandering, stumbling, often faithless people. Usually the second reading is taken from the New Testament, most frequently the writings of St. Paul, also the Acts of the Apostles, the account of the early church. And the Gospel reading, of course, is always uh, taken from one of the four accounts of the life and teaching of Christ that we call the Four Gospels. I will come to you in the silence I will lift you from all your fear You will hear my voice I claim you as my choice Be still and know I am for all who long to 